Amen. This time we will have our first reading be read by Megan. The first reading is taken from 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Gospel, I invite, I'd like to invite Valerie to read it. Is Valerie with us? Yes. <laughs> the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 13, verses 1 to 17 and 31 to 35. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, one who is bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean, and you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and for this reason he said, not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet, had put on his robe and had returned to the table, he said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, 
nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the gospel of the Lord. Glory, Glory to, to you, you Lord, Christ. Lord Christ. Thank you, Valerie. Before I begin the meditation, I want to say just a few, couple of remarks, I guess. Uh, the first is that um, the Gospel of John has been accused, as many of you probably know, that it is a very anti-Semitic gospel. And there are many, many scholars have written to against that uh, or refuting that kind of uh, ideas. But one of the things that has been mentioned, and I've, I've, uh, I knew this many years ago now, when I would talk to some of my uh, Jewish Christian friends, you know, uh, is what made, what made some Jews uncomfortable with the Gospel of John is that term, the Jews, the Jews, it is mentioned repeatedly uh, throughout almost the gospel. And over the years, the Jews have, the way it was used was really anti-Semitic uh, in its implications. And so in order to really address this problem, it has been suggested by some scholars um, that this controversy between Jesus and the Jews, as it is mentioned in the Gospel of John, could be probably um, addressed or uh, maybe the whole sting of it could be uh, lessened if instead of saying the Jews, we can say the Judeans, because basically Jesus was in Judea most of most of Jesus' ministry, as you know, uh, has been in Galilee. But in John, most of the time, Jesus is in the Jerusalem area. And, uh, and so instead of using the, uh, the Jews, instead of that, we say the Judeans. So like you would say the Samaritans, or like you would say the Galileans, uh, the sting is removed. And to, a, to, to a certain extent, I think. So I just want to make this point 
um, because it appears in our uh, text also today, uh, which Valerie has read, you know. Now, so this is one thing and it's a big topic and some of you might want to comment on it, you know. But the other thing is that I wondered in the, many years ago, I wondered why it was uh, this Thursday was called uh, Monday Thursday. Um, um, until I knew that the word Monday really goes back to the Latin word that, re that really is mandatum, you know, which means that this is the night in which Jesus gave his mandate or his commandment. Uh, when he said, I give you a new commandment. This is, the, this is where the word Monday comes, comes in. So I thought many of you probably knew this, but I wanted to clarify it uh, to those of us who were not really sure about the word Monday, uh, Monday, Thursday. Now, let me begin this short uh, introduction to our discussion and then I hope those of you who are there would uh, join us in reflecting on this beautiful, beautiful text. As you know, it's only John that mentions this in the gospel. Uh, the other uh, gospels, Matthew, Luke, and uh, 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 Mark, they're talking about uh, the um, the Last Supper or the communion aspect. Uh, John doesn't mention that, he mentions the washing of the feet. Uh, and in the early church, Jesus was identified as the suffering servant whom we read about in Isaiah. So in the foot washing, Jesus is, repre is representing a servant uh, who offers his life for his friends. The text shows that true friendship is based on equality. Domination is totally foreign in true friendship. Domination arises from inequality. Domination reinforces inequality. In friendship, domination is subverted, undermined, and challenged. In friendship, love is the ultimate, a love unto death. For, for one's friends, Jesus said, no one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. What I want to emphasize here, and again, we can talk about this. John in his gospel describes God's act of salvation, not in terms of sacrifice, but in terms of self-giving love, self-gift of love. God so loved the world that he gave his son to save us. And we read in the gospel, Jesus so loved his own that he laid down his life for them. In washing their feet, 
Jesus acted to abolish to abolish inequality between them by inaugurating between them the relationship of friendship. Jesus was subverting in principle all structures of domination among the disciples and I would say in the church. The position of first place has no function in friendship, so should be in the church. Therefore, are we practicing what Jesus had done? When we look at our churches and our leadership, and I'm talking in general about all churches, whether Catholic, Orthodox, Anglicans, uh, Protestants, Evangelicals, are we as Christian leaders and as Christian disciples of Christ subverting the inequality among us? The death of Jesus, his laying down of his life for his friends whom he loved and his love for us as well and his love for the whole world implies a new order of human relationship. Has this order of new relationship been working as it should be in our churches? As disciples of Christ, are we living among ourselves the love of friendship with its joys and sorrows in mutual service that knows no order of importance which Jesus has inaugurated. So my dear friends, Jesus was transforming our sinful human structures of domination that operate in, in our human society everywhere with a model of friendship that expresses itself in mutual service and love even unto death. This mutual love and service make us stand and work for justice, for peace, for our brothers and sisters everywhere who are oppressed. It is when we subvert the inequality, the domination in our churches and choose humility and service that we can win disciples and we can win people who are open to following Jesus Christ and be truly his disciples. I'm gonna stop right here. I hope I have um, been able to at least uh, um, communicate this message of humility, which I think uh, was exemplified in Jesus washing his, uh, the feet of his disciples. There might be other points that have jumped at you from the text in the first reading or the second reading. Um, and let us begin our discussion at this point. Omar, you can lead us, please. Yes, so if you'd like to participate, please raise your hand. Mary. 
Yes, um, I'm this year doing a deep dive into the book of Genesis and was just this week in Genesis 39. And in today's reading, it just jumped out to me that um, this part of Jesus removing his cloak is parallel to when Potiphar's wife ripped off Joseph's um, robe and it sent Joseph into greater suffering that lasted so many years but ultimately led to like the redemption of his family and the terrible suffering that he had had at the hands of his brothers being resolved and the parallel to the ripping off of this robe or Jesus removing his cloak, his robe here is just um, preceding him going into his greatest suffering, which is to our benefit. And it just makes me think of you know, the suffering that's going on and how ultimately God is going to redeem it all. So that's just my reflection on that part. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Um, As we wait for another person to give a comment. Some... Uh, Go ahead. I was going to, uh, I can say it later. Uh, thank you. For me, uh, Jesus stands here in the tradition of the Jewish prophets. Uh, in the Old Testament, you see the power represented by the king and the temple and the prophet who is the, the one who, is, who speaks uh, justice to power really and truth to power and this exactly that is what jesus does here it is not whether it is the jews or whether it is the judeans for me it is those who were supposed to understand what he is talking about are those in power in the temple and those in temple those in power in the temple are exactly those that reject him and that is not just the, those who were in power in the temple in those days. It also applies to those who are in power in our churches today. If we look to our own uh, situation in the churches, in the history, and nowadays, they, the church leadership does not always stand in the tradition of the prophets and of speaking uh, truth to power. If I look to my own church and see how cowardless, how they are coward when it comes to speaking about human rights and uh, for example for the palestinian christians they do not do it they simply refuse to do so so for me the the meaning of this text goes be, well beyond the jews of those days they are not the jews but the jewish leadership for me those who were supposed to understand but do not and speaks to us nowadays that we are called to really understand Jesus' words nowadays in our situation. Thanks, John. Radia? Radia Khopti? Okay. I want to ask, why we do not follow the commandment of Jesus in washing each other's feet. I don't see this in churches or 
in any, I don't, I may be mistaken, in our church we don't do it. Is this uh, not uh, required that we should do that as a way of humbling ourselves? And as you indicated, uh, sees that it, it gives us to be equal in all aspects with Jesus. Uh, and another point I want to raise, the idea of the Jews. I thought that most of the disciples and Jesus, you know, being at that time, that they were Jews. So why is this such a big issue of uh, raising an anti-Semitism? I don't understand that point. Yeah, maybe there might be people who will want to respond to, uh, to you, Radia. But uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, in the history of anti-Semitism, uh, it has been used. Uh, I, I usually try nowadays, I, I hardly use the Jews. I say Jews, you know, I, I don't use the uh, there because of the history of that of what happened uh, to, to, to the Jewish people uh, when they were uh, persecuted uh, and the long history that goes with that as well. So uh, as to the washing of the feet, it's really left to the churches. In fact, you know, uh, there is, for example, uh, there is a denomination in the States here. I, I know that it used to be, and I think probably still is, it's called uh, foot feet washing Baptists, you know, uh, and that's what they do. They do it uh, regularly, feet washing, you know. Um, all the historic churches do it. Like let's say the Catholics do it, the Anglicans do it now, um, maybe not every church. Uh, the Orthodox do it also again and not every church but the patriarchs the bishops usually do that the syrians do it the chaldeans do it and the other historic churches do it you know again not all the churches uh, but you know i've been personally and i i speak about myself i've been always very uncomfortable uh, because i had to go and have my feet washed not not i mean just very little uh, there. It's not real washing, you know, uh, by the bishop. Uh, when many times I did not approve of the way the bishop, uh, the bishop's behavior or bishop's uh, humility, I did not, I did not see it exhibited in in the life or the uh, the, the bishop. And I, what I say, it's not only about one bishop. You know, I say the experience of other people. So. Um, but if it can help us if, by washing each other's feet to, to feel the humility and the, in, and the subverting of the inequality and the domination, I think we need to do it. Unfortunately, this is not my experience in, in some of our churches. I was just going to uh, add to what Kathy Bergen put in the chat. Um, I also am Mennonite and I come from uh, a history, a particular group of Mennonites 
um, in this part of the United States that have practiced foot washing regularly. It always happened um, at the time that we celebrated communion, which wasn't very often, but um, we celebrated, we practiced foot washing at that time. And um, were we out from under COVID right now, that's what my congregation would be doing this evening. Thanks, Dorothy. And um, Brian? Yes, thank you. Um, I, I, at this point on the uh, issue of using the term the Jews, I think uh, Naim's suggestion to drop the word the is, is helpful, but it is a, an ongoing debate, certainly within the Episcopal Church and as a congregation in Washington, D.C., St. Mark's on Capitol Hill, and they have put forward a resolution that the diocese has adopted that will go to uh, general convention next year. It's a national gathering uh, in 2022, uh, asking for this to be addressed. That how do how can we uh, refashion our particularly the Good Friday reading of the John Gospel, uh, and uh, it it's been going on like this for, for a, a long time. Um, and it came up in that parish because uh, a little girl had been at an Episcopal school and she was Jewish. And so when she went to a service um, and this reading took place and she was about, you know, just a young girl, uh, six, seven, eight years old and heard uh, the story of the Jews and what they did to Jesus, it was very upsetting to her. So it got the whole congregation involved in wanting to address it. So I think it's a, it's a good thing that we are trying to do that as a church. Um, and I, I uh, it, it, because it is problematic for us. At the same time, uh, we are seeing those trying to make witnesses by some Christians uh, about the rights of Palestinians and trying to say that criticism of the state of Israel equates to being anti-Semitic. So we have the opposite problem on the, on the other side. So I think we just need to be, and we need to respond to that equally well. And the Episcopal Church has passed a resolution in the past that says that um, uh, criticism of Israel should not be equated, of Israeli government policy should not be equated with uh, anti-Semitic uh, prejudice. So uh, it's, a, it's a huge issue for our time and one that we need to be addressing. And I, I'm grateful, Naeem, that you brought it up. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, yes, um, I don't want to turn the entire conversation, but I want to look at the Corinthian passage. Something struck me this morning. Perhaps I've seen it before. Um, I'm sure I have, but it struck me differently this morning. The last uh, verse in the reading, um, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Proclaim the Lord's death, not his resurrection. Um, 
I wonder why Paul wrote that. You know, it's more of a question and a wonderment here than any kind of a statement. Uh, a synonym for death might be martyrdom. You proclaim Jesus martyrdom until he comes. What does it mean to proclaim someone's martyrdom or death? You know, we have the martyrdom of Abraham Lincoln, and we memorialize uh, Martin Luther King's death. Here is Jesus' death to be proclaimed, not his resurrection. Now, in other places, we proclaim his resurrection. But here we're proclaiming the death, the martyrdom of the Lord. Uh, is, it a, is it a call to join his suffering? Uh, it's, so I have more of a question here than an answer. Um, that's all. Thanks, Paul. Um, Brian, um, you've raised your hand. Did we, um, is there something more you'd like to share? Cassie Bergen. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to comment on the part about the, you know, the using the word the Jews. For some reason, I'm not sure where this comes from, but I've always thought of that as um, being the uh, religious hierarchy. I don't know. And I know um, Rosemary Radford Ruther writes about. Uh, you know, anti-Semitism uh, in the New Testament as well. So maybe it was reading some of her um, work and, but yeah, but it's still helpful, uh, Naeem, what you did say about that. So it's a different way of looking at it. Thank you. Thank you, Kat. Yes, please go ahead. Um, I was just going to, going back to an earlier um, part of the conversation, um, some 25 years, probably more, um, the Methodist church that I attended uh, in Oxfordshire quite regularly on a Thursday evening would put tables up in the meeting room, not in the church, but in the meeting room uh, with tables on it. And we'd have a little meal of something fairly simple um, and talk through the institution of the, uh, of the communion. Um, and always, always on those days, there was, there was foot washing. That's all. Thank you. Tina? It was a tradition. Uh, okay, two things. One might be just a, a simple linguistic comment. I always hear the Palestinians uh, refer to Jews as the Jewish. I've never heard them say the Jews. And is that just a linguistic uh, way of speaking? Or is that because of the harshness of the sound of the Jews? But it's always the Jewish. And, and the second comment I have is, is more in keeping with the, uh, the commandment to love one another. We were talking yesterday at a study about racism, anti-racism. And, and I, I just started thinking, you know, we're always 
we focus on one group of people that we we love or want to treat better, and this now it's uh, African Americans. But now the Asians are being hated, and and when they're not hated, then it'll be somebody else. So we just replace one group with the other. When are we as a church going to get to the foundation of loving all people and get that message across instead of these categories of people that we we choose to? to hate. I mean, I, I can talk to everybody about loving everybody, but if I say Palestinian, oh my goodness, uh, that, that's a different category of people. So when is that message going to really hit us that we're to love everybody? You know, in Arabic, I'm, I'm just uh, uh, thinking in Arabic, it's very interesting. I notice that uh, when we're using Arabic and in Arabic and Hebrew also. Uh, the Palestinians, when they refer to uh, to the Jews, they never say Israelis. They say Yahud, which means the Jews, you know. The, the, the Jews never say Palestinians. They never use the word, I am categorically, I'm saying something I am very sure about. They never refer to the uh, to the Palestinians as Palestinians. They always say the Arabs, the Arab. We say Yahud. We say the Yahud for Jews, Arabs, the Arab for Arabs. It's very interesting the way it is. And I'm talking about Jews who know better. You know, nowadays there are Israeli. Israeli Arabs, you know, and there are, uh, uh, and the Palestinians, or several millions of them in the area there, but they never you they never use the word Palestinians. It's always uh, Arab, the Arabs, and that's very deeply uh, uh, entrenched in the psyche of I think our people who use Al Yahud Jews. And, and for the Jews who use Arabs, not Palestinians. It's very interesting to, to look at that also, uh, uh, what's happening there. Thank you. Thank you, Asis. Um, Darrell? Well, I, hi, I was just saying, uh, it was a very important statement made by our friend a few minutes ago about uh, the Corinthian passage uh, focusing mostly on the death of Jesus. And rightly so. And I think in the context there also, there were so many divisions among the people in Corinth, as the earlier chapters show. And uh, this was one way of saying, listen, we've got to come together because he came together for us and died for us. But then he goes on in the 15th chapter, I deliver to you that which I've also received, how the Christ died for our sins and was raised the third day, and that chapter goes on to say, now is Christ risen from the dead and has given life and so forth. So uh, in case uh, that's helpful, that great chapter, that great uh, book or letter of 1 Corinthians is both about the sacrifice of Christ and the fact that, yes, he lives. Easter has happened. Thanks, Donald. Thank you. Um, Ginevra? Um, yes, thank you, Omar. Um, yes, I just wanted to um, 
comment about Peter's response, Simon Peter's response when Jesus came to him. And I think um, that's the response that I think most people have at foot washing ceremonies, um, in, at least at the ones that I've experienced. Um, there's, um, it, it's almost a, re, a, I realize we see Jesus as being, hum, as humbling himself to, to do this task because it wasn't something uh, most would do, but it's also um, to allow your feet to be washed by someone um, at, at least in our day and age, uh, takes on another aspect of, of humbling yourself uh, to the other. Um, it's not normal for us to have someone else wash us. So I, I just wanted to comment on um, Simon Peter's response. It seemed natural to me that he would draw back at first. Yes, Senora. Thank you. Um, I was going to ask a question. Anti-Semitism, I thought, started after Jesus was killed and cru was, was crucified. I don't know whether there was anti-Semitism before. So at that time, when they say the Jews, why did it matter? Like, we are called the Arabs, the British are called the British, the Americans, the French, etc. So I don't think at that time, when they referred to the Jews, it was anti-Semitic. This is number one, but I might be wrong. The other point that I wanted to make is that about love. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I mean, this kind of love. We can talk about loving each other and we have to love each other, but this kind of love, how much is there in this world or in any community, this kind of love? He loved them in some places it says to the utmost or to the end and to die for, ones, for the ones who love. I only know of a mother's love that can be like that, but no other love. Again, I might be mistaken, but certainly, certainly the world lacks this kind of love. And I don't know whether it's possible. And this is the kind of love that Jesus loved us. Thanks. Um, thank you, Auntie Cedar. Um, I would like to, I've raised my hand and I would like to share. Please go ahead, Omar. Thank you. <laughs> um, I mean, it's part of it is, maybe I'm going to be taking it in a different direction, um, the discussion. I really, um, when reading it, I studied in Greece and Mediterranean culture, we have this culture of tragedy. It's in our songs, it's in our language that, you know, it, is, it's, it becomes a very theater, theatrical. Um, uh, when we talk about certain things, even their normal things, they sound so much theatrical. We have this tragedy. We, we love tragedy. We love sad ending stories. And in a way, it's washing the feet now, um, because we have two elections. Israel just finished another, um, their fourth election in two years. And the Palestinians um, are doing elections in, in May. Um, so it's everybody is campaigning, everybody's saying, everybody's trying to wash the feet of everybody, but they're doing it for, you know, hoping that they will win a seat um, uh, in the Knesset or in the Palestinian Legislative Council. 
But if we take the story without the tragedy and without the drama, it's you cannot just only be amused by Jesus. What a wonderful role model, simple. Even that Jesus is going to the cross, Jesus is serving, Jesus is kind, being a role model. And I think it is we can drop the the, we can drop lots of things in the text, but it's we need to not drop Jesus, the role model from the text. And I think that's where the importance. And I think it is, it's, it'll be, sometimes it's debated in the churches, should we change it? Or how, how can we be more inclusive or less exclusive? Or maybe we want to be exclusive. But I feel that the church throughout history, we've dropped Christ, Jesus, from the text, from the scripture, from the faith. And that's why we tolerate um, injustice. We tolerate um, um, anti-Semitism, racism, or silencing the Palestinians. There's so much things that we tolerate. And I think that's, um, I, I really, I read this text now with the context of the Palestinian elections in a completely different way. Just say, you know, it is what a wonderful person who's not running for elections, who's not trying to get people to love him. He's serving the people and say no. Usually it is, I know many people when they get selected so that the bishops and the patriarchs um, will wash their feet because it became a tradition. I know a number of people that um, they would not bathe for four or five days or for a week just to make their life difficult for the bishops. It's a way just to fight back um, non-violently. Um, that, that's something that it is, it's, um, so it's a different spirit. Thanks, Omar. But you know, the, one of the things that I'm not talking about now Western, Western culture and Western Christians, but I'm really talking about Eastern, you know, all the different multiple churches, very historic and so on. And I question, um, we all have the washing of the feet. <coughs> We have the washing of the feet, but for, in my opinion, I notice that humility is not experienced by our leaders, on the, on the contrary. So how do we deal with, on one hand, there is the model, model which Jesus has given us, and it's very clear. It's very clear. His words are very clear. And then looking at the reality of the church and the people in the church and the leadership of the churches uh, where we don't see that. That's what's agonizing for me when I look at it. I've, my feet were washed when I was in the church. I hated it. I did not want to go there for that. And, and I think it's not only my experience. I think others experience it vis-a-vis -vis their own leadership, you know. And how can you change that when the model is so clear before you? Humility, subverting domination, in the church, 
many of our people have left the churches because because they did not really see the example of Christ being lived out by the by the by the Christians by the leadership. That's I think what was behind some of my comments. Um, as ahead, Abakhil. Yeah, I want to make uh, uh, two comments and then uh, ask a question. The first comment, I think, uh, you know, answering uh, Asis Naim concerning the word Arabs, to me, it was a typical Israeli Hasbara. You and I lived in Galilee. And in the 50s and almost to the middle of the 60s, we never learned in school the Nakba. So psychologically speaking, they wanted the Palestinians to deny their existence and their peoplehood. So you are a bunch of Arab with the rest of Arab, forget about your identity and your existence. That's to me is very clear. And it comes also with Ellen Pappy book, The Ethnic Cleansing of Palestine. The, the second one for the majority of our uh, audience, uh, as Palestinians, as Christians, as children, we never looked for Christmas. We always looked for Easter because Easter when we had the clothes, the food, the fellowship, the big feast and so forth. So to me, Palestinian Christianity is more close uh, to early Christianity than good, uh, good old America and uh, Europe. Why? Because uh, let's face it, the book of Acts doesn't say one word about Christmas. For the first 250 years, nobody said hello to Christmas. The big deal in our Christian faith is Easter. That's the power, the cross, the resurrection, and, and the second coming. So that's to me, I wish we can, uh, the church can say to the culture, move aside, I want to live the church culture. And the church culture is an Easter culture, not a Christmas culture. My question to all of us is, can we discover, you know, in this passage, you have three systems. One is the Roman empire, brutal system, occupation. I destroy you to pieces. Then you have the, the uh, Jewish hierarchy system, of resistance against occupation. Then this uh, Jesus come on the scene uh, saying, love one another. I mean, to me, can the church discover the love of Jesus again? How do we love and respect one another as a human being? Imagine tomorrow Jesus says to John, hey, this is your mother. And to his mother, he says, you know, this is your son. He, didn't, he did not say to John, uh, will you take my mother to my relatives in Bethlehem or to my relatives in, in Nazareth? There's a new system or a new covenant and a new spirit Jesus was creating that is alien to the Roman culture and to the Jewish culture. Can we discover that now in our day? Thanks, man. Valerie? Um, yeah, I, um, I wanted to um, talk about Judas. He's only mentioned just uh, in passing in this passage. 
but I think um, now I, I'm thinking about it, it's got a bearing on what we're talking about because I've, I've always had a certain sympathy for Judas because I can't understand why he would do that, uh, except in terms of wanting to force Jesus into the centre of, of power where he could really powerfully bring in the kingdom. And I think that, uh, for me, that seems to be Judas' understanding. Um, and I have a lot of sympathy for that because I'm quite impatient about injustice. And I really want God to get on with it. And, um, and so I could, to a certain extent, I can, I, you know, I've learned humility in, in you know, responding to, um, to what I'm learning through, through this, this thing. Um, but what I've realized is that um, the uh, people who are following the um, Israeli narrative of restoration um, of, of the Jewish kingdom, um, they're the ones that are following um, Judas's way. They're trying to manipulate God into doing what they believe God wants to do. Um, and this whole passage about foot washing is so not that. Um, and, uh, but, but it is hard to be humble enough to say, God, in your time, uh, when you see people suffering, as, as the Palestinians are. Thanks, Mary. Caroline? Caroline? Oh, sorry. Hi. Sorry. I thought you called me Caroline for a minute. Yes, Omar. Um, thank you so much. Um, our last couple of speakers that was really profound and uh, will take a lot of reflecting on the different things that people have been saying today. Thank you very much. I think um, what I'm reflecting on is um, uh, what came to mind was St. Francis, actually, and um, how he, you know, was privileged and uh, wealthy and how he, uh, the story of St. Francis, where he sees the leper. At first, he thinks it's just like some old rags in the road and he's riding a horse. And, uh, and then when he realises it's a person, uh, he goes to give them money and then he realizes that actually that isn't any good. He has to get down from his high horse and he has to go to the leper and he embraces the leper and he sees the leper as a human being. And um, recently, it sounds funny, but I, I've had a problem with one of my dogs and I've had to, I've had to do some unpleasant washing and uh, tending of sores and it's been really um yeah not very pleasant and i guess what's coming to me about the foot washing is actually how you know what an unpleasant thing it, it is actually sometimes getting down on your knees and dealing with something that is unpalatable and uh, so I feel sometimes as well with people who, if you like, are, I, I feel uncomfortable around because I know things about them um, 
and I feel like I don't particularly want to connect with them. And then when I see actually that they are suffering for some reason, I'm able not to, to judge them, but even to serve them. But I think this whole issue of metaphorically washing other people's feet and tending their wounds and um, not pe treating people like lepers, which um, certain people in the world certainly are treated like lepers metaphorically. Um, but, but I think I just want to say it's not, you know, I think it's a hard thing that we're talking about here. And uh, I think for us to get down on our knees and to do unpleasant tasks and to deal with people that we feel are, um, if you like, you know, untouchable. You know, we, I, I'm sorry, but I, I think we all have the ability to discriminate. And, and I am also guilty of that, very much so. So I guess I, I'm, I'm trying to come at it um, in a way that we need God's Holy Spirit to give us that compassion before we can do these things. You know, I feel I need to be changed in order to wash others' feet. And uh, I just want to acknowledge that, actually. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Carolyn. Very good. My turn, Omar? Yes, please go ahead. Yes, right. Um, I just wanted to say that I have multiple sclerosis. Um, and so I need a certain amount of looking after. And I live in a facility where we all have our own private living quarters, but there are uh, carers about. Um, and I guess it might be different when a new person arrives, but certainly once they have arrived, we, uh, the carers will either do a, give you a wash or they'll give you a shower. Um, and in consequence, they wash my feet every day. And to me, it's just one of those things that happens every morning. Um, but that's in that special situation. But I do think sometimes when new people come in to work as a carer um, who haven't done it before, now those I think are brave because they have no idea what they're dealing with. I mean, potentially, um, because there are people here um, who are partly incontinent. Um, there's circumstances where there's a certain amount of mess that needs to be sorted out. Um, and yet they do it as part of their job. It may take them a few days to get used to it, but because they're doing so many people every day, they have a list of people that they go and visit. Um, 
I guess they don't, you know, it's one of those things, it's part of the job um, and they don't feel so um, awkward in doing it. But I must say, I'm ever so grateful for them looking after me like this um, because I can't reach my feet, let alone get, get round them to wash them. Um, it was only just before I made the decision that I was going to have to move out of my flat uh, in, in town that um, I realised I hadn't been washing. I hadn't been taking showers because it was too difficult for me. And to come here and to be cared for in this way, it's brilliant. So it's just another take on um, foot washing. Thanks, Charlie. Thank you. Um, I think that's it, Assis. Have I forgotten anybody? Please. I want to. Yes. Is that okay? Um, I haven't seen anybody raising their hand, or I hope I didn't forget anybody. Uh, Thank I'd you. Sorry. Shall I wait? Yes, Auntie Cedar. Yeah, I just want to add something that I forgot to say. I want to follow up on what uh, Reverend Abu said. As he said, when the state was established, the word Palestinian was taboo because if they called us Palestinians, then we were a people and we had a land called Palestine. So it was taboo. I mean, anybody who used the word Palestinians was liable to be arrested. And they called us Arabs because they considered us part of the Arab nation, just part of the Arab nation and we had Arab countries to go to. So it was against the rule. I remember there was a military order not to use the word Palestinian. This is one thing, just a small thing another thing that I see in front of us two models, Peter and Jesus. Now, Peter loved Jesus, but he didn't love him till the end, he denied him. And I think of us these days, I mean, either we deny when, when it comes to our person or we remain silent. And I heard President Biden the other day says, saying, um, silence is complicity. Well, it applies some in some places, but it doesn't apply everywhere because silence in our case, the Palestinian case is, is dominant. I mean, most people prefer to remain silent because they don't love the truth till the end, like Jesus loved the truth till the end. Not only did he love people and his disciples, but he loved the truth till the end, unto death. Thank you. Maybe this is a good note to end on. Thank you, Cedar. And I want to thank everyone who has uh, shared with us. And those, I want to thank all those who have not shared any, because I'm sure you were uh, thinking and reflecting also on this. So we lift up all of our sharing, whether audibly or non-audibly, uh, done uh, to God's glory and that questions that we've asked and have not been answered, we continue to lift them up also and continue to think about them. And hopefully uh, we 
will have some answers and we can also share with others uh, to talk about some of the answers to some of our unanswered questions. Thank you all. Let us continue at this time with the wave of prayer. And uh, Omar, uh, are you uh, uh, gonna lead us with that? Is uh, Mary Claire with you? Um, yes. Or somebody else, okay, yeah. Please. Mary Claire? Yes, Mary Claire is with us, sis. Okay, let us pray. This week's Kumi Now online gathering was about the living conditions for the residents of Gaza. Two million people live in the enclave, making it one of the most densely populated places on earth. However, the population has been denied access to vital natural resources under the blockade from Israel and Egypt since 2007. April 5th is Palestinian Children's Day. April 7th, Kumi now will host military court watch and focus on Palestinian minors in Israeli military courts. Lord, we pray for the people of Gaza as they try to survive under the harsh conditions imposed on them. We pray that the blockade will be lifted and that hope will be restored to them. Lord, in your mercy, here are Sabil, with the cooperation of its friends, is holding online worship services during the season of Lent. On the 27th of March, a worship service a day before Sunday with the Ecumenical Palestinian Israel Network in Australia was held. On the 3rd of April, there will be a worship service with Friends of Sabil North America. And on the 10th of April, there will be a worship service with Friends of Sabil UK. Lord, your word is upright and all your work is done in faithfulness. We pray for the preparation of these Sabil services that they would reflect your steadfast and faithful love. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Hundreds of Palestinian protesters in Emel Fahim and Qalansua in Israel on Friday, the 19th of March, for the 10th consecutive week. And, sorry, hundreds of Palestinians protested in Emel Fahim and Qalansua in Israel on Friday, the 19th of March, for the 10th consecutive week. The demonstrators are challenging the lack of Israeli police action in investigating a recent recent spate of homicide cases and no attempt to curb a rise in unlicensed arms sales. Lord, we pray for peace and justice in the Palestinian Arab community in Israel. We pray that they may have access to due process under the law without discrimination. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Our After 20 years of planning and construction, a new wastewater treatment plant had been put into, into operation in Gaza with help from German investment. The plant has been built in the town of Breij and will process water wastewater from 11 communities with 1 million inhabitants. It will be powered by a biogas plant and a solar plant on the same site. 
Lord, we are thankful that many families in Gaza will now have access to potable water. We continue to pray for those people who go for days without running water due to the low levels of fresh water in the ground reserves. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. We join with the World Council of Churches and prayers for the countries of the Czech Republic, Poland, and Slovakia. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Let's take a few moments in silent prayer. Let's remember all the people who are celebrating this Holy Week around the world. Let's remember all those who are sick, especially those who have been affected by the virus, by the pandemic. And let us also pray for our families and our friends. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Let us confess our sins against God and against our neighbors. Together we say, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy upon us. Forgive us our sins. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. Let's say together the Lord's Prayer in our different languages. Habana,
And before we end, I thought it's important for us to be reminded of what happened on this great Thursday. So let us join together in this. I will read the plain text and please use the pray the the bold text and let's reflect on this as we close our time of worship and prayers the lord jesus after he had supped with his disciples and had washed their feet said to them do you know what i your lord and master have done to you i have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Peace is my last gift to you. My own peace I, I leave with you. Peace which the world cannot give, I give to you. I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Peace is my last gift to you, my own peace I now leave with you. Peace which the world cannot give, I give to you. By this, Shall the world know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another? And together we say, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Be to God.